Hi, I'm Emirate, and one time I saw a child hug a painting in a museum. I'm Chantel, and I'm crying over Emirate's intro. <laughs> okay, I can do this. You can do this. So this week's episode is entitled Hookers with a Heart of Gold. And we really wanted to give a shout out to the world's oldest professionals um, and the very important work that they do. Shout out to any current sex worker friends that we might have. Your job is valid and important and we hope that you are in a place to do it safely. Prostitutes and artists have long had a very interesting history. Um, and to quote Charles Baudelaire, if I might. Oh, please do. He went so far as to say, what is art? It is prostitution. You know, in the strictest sense of both words, I think that is true. Shout out to Baudelaire, shit. Keeping it real, son. Keeping it real, like yes, he do. so frequently would. We really wanted to do an episode that talked about some of the more famous prostitutes um, that we have seen in art and how funny it is that it is now something that we frequently discuss in kind of a haphazard way, which I'm very happy about. You're free to discuss openly, but you know, back in the day, it was kind of like, how dare you all burn this painting to the ground, mm -hmm. which, you know, violent, mm -hmm. but also hypocritical. Because- oh, it's hypocritical. Oh as God. mentioned before, the oldest profession in the world. Exactly. So to, us off. I am going to bring up and we shall discuss my first choice and one that most of our listeners will probably be very familiar with already. The OG prostitute in art, Edouard Manet's Olympia. There she is. Ugh. In all of her glory. Um, so, okay, this is definitely one of those paintings where it's like, I'm gonna burn this mother down, how dare you? Um, when it <laughs> premiered at the Salon in Paris, people lost their shit, like, quite literally. Um, like, that was the talk of the town, that was the hot goss. That was it like- It was the hot goss, very much. All the tea was spilled. For a lot of different reasons. And one of the reasons is because the model for this particular piece was actually an artist herself. And she was very much recognizable to most people in Paris. And so the thought that it's not a nameless woman, but a woman that we frequently interact with socially was, I think, what made this so extra upsetting for people. 
which again, the hypocrisy of it all, you know, it burns. How dare you? What's mm -hmm. wrong? Mm -hmm. um, the piece itself, I think, is just glorious. It's beautiful. But to me, it also is very full of energy. And it's a mostly like angry, confrontational energy, honestly. You do have a woman, the aforementioned Olympia, who is reclining on what looks like some very plush pillows, bed, and a silk shawl. Um, she's being attended on and brought flowers by a black maid. And then you have a cat off to the side with its back arched. It's a black cat. And so, you know, there's just, there's a lot going on here. And what I love is that you have Olympia who is looking at you, the viewer, like, what the fuck are you doing here? Have you paid me yet? No. So why are you looking at me? And then you have this cat who's like back arched, like, yeah, what the fuck are you doing here? Get out. And then you have this beautiful black maid who's like, white people be crazy. Like, what are you doing, Olympia? <laughs> like, the fuck <laughs> Don't be rude to these men folk. We're trying to take advantage of them. Yes. We're just trying to capitalize on our bodies. Might as well. Might as well, indeed, since they are so often looked at as property. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of different things that would speak to the fact that the woman in this photo is supposed to be a lady of the night. She has a black ribbon on her neck and apparently the name Olympia was often associated with prostitutes at this time in Paris. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I am forgetting the year 1863. I find that very interesting and now I want to like talk to every person who is currently named Olympia and be like, so did you know? I know her name was often associated with prostitutes. Right. I also want to say that like one of the you know, in, in the foundational Western art history classes that we take, um, we learn about this piece in terms of the shift to modernism and painting kind of I mean, not the everyday person, but folks that aren't necessarily of the upper echelon, that are not of royalty, that this person, this 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 sex worker, I mean, I, I love the fact that, I mean, Manet did this often with Le Déjeuner, Un... Yeah, thank you. There we go. My, I never took a French class. Apologies to all the French speakers. Um, where the women in his paintings give, I mean, actually, I think it's the same woman. Is that right? It's it the is same the same woman yeah. giving major face in both it, instances. It's, it's rejecting the notion of voyeurism. You know what I mean? Like it's really taking it back. It's, it's reclaiming it in a way where, you know, there is the male gaze upon this painting because her breasts are exposed. She is covering her vulva. There is a cat and flowers to really symbolize, you know, the sexuality of the, of the scene. But she's like, exactly like you said, she's like, okay, and? Like, what, what of it? You're looking at me, I'll look right back at you. Yes. You know? mm -hmm. And I do also love, like, I really do think that she is thinking, how dare you look at me, you haven't paid yet. 
because the painting that inspired this piece, the Venus of Urbino, yep. was painted by Titian. And there's a slight covering of the vulva, but not much. She, Venus is looking more like come hither and like the goods are fully on display. Like very inviting her. Let me give you a taste. Oh yeah. And then Olympia is like, no, I'm covering my shit because you haven't paid me yet. Her hair's up. She's like, "Uh, we haven't made an agreement yet. You don't get to see the full picture. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I just, I love the, like, the shoes that are on but are falling off. I see that. That one in the back. Yeah, the slippers. to care about this, about anything, nor do I care about you, viewer. Get out. Also, as as I'm looking a little bit closer, I mean, the depth of field, like, it could be, I mean, you know, I'm taking the drawing one class just to do the things. Um... This depth of field, like this bed does not look big enough for two people. No. This might be her chambers. It definitely is, I think. And I think that's part of why she's like, what are you doing here? Yeah, I mean, especially with the cat's tail curled like that, that's a symbol of curiosity. Like, yes. okay. Exactly. But the arch back is also like anger and like get out of my space. Protective, yep, territorial. Exactly. Very territorial. Now, the person that I also want to spend time talking about, because not a lot of people do, although more people have started to, is the Black Maid. So this particular painting was painted after slavery was ended in France and its colonies. Lol. (laughs) Way to (laughs) fix, like, only one part of the problem in that sentence. And so this is a free black woman. And I really love that she really, she's giving side eye to this lady she's waiting on. Like she's presenting her with flowers that are likely from a client or admirer of some kind. And she's just, to me, she's got this look on her face. Like, I don't have time for this nonsense. Like, do you want these flowers or not? Can I get an answer? What are you doing? I just, I love how expressive her face is. I also think that there's something to be said about a reversal of stereotypes to have a black woman fully clothed and a white woman completely naked, I think does also say something about, you know, examining which of these women men will objectify the most Mm. and which they will feel they have the most ownership over. Because I do think that there were probably many men, especially white men, who would look at this piece and still be like, okay, I can't touch that lady, especially because I know her. Right. But like that other lady, I could probably get it. And it's like, no. Again, again, just even the fact that we're having this discussion right now where like, we know for a fact that men view our bodies as property. Yes. And it's been this, okay, so this is 1863, and this is not even close to the beginning of when that that notion came about. Absolutely. Or when has it not, really? Um, when shit. has it not, like indeed? You like know, I'm so I... Tired. Like, the, like, I'm sorry, my body is not your property. Yes. 
I can fucking choose to do with it whatever I please. And sorry if that pisses you off that I don't give you what you want. I fully remember speaking more to the history part of art history. I fully remember, I want to say it was in junior or high that I had a professor who, or not a professor, a teacher. I was like, shit, what junior are you going to? Uh, I've been in <laughs> higher ed for too long. I had a teacher who was talking about cavemen mm. and told a story about, I want to say we were in a science class about, um, like natural selection and the predisposition to like carry on your own species. Oh. And he was talking about how cavemen would do so by clubbing a woman over the head to take ownership of her and then dragging her away from her family to their own cave. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, um, I may have blacked out during that day in class. What the fuck? I remember being so upset that it was like, how, what, what? But I think that there's something to be said. I am 100% sure that that person was talking out of their ass because like, how could you possibly know something like that? Exactly. Um, However, the fact that that concept seemed like an okay way like to talk about nation. What? I'm so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Where? Where these procreation? Big ass forehead clubbing, fucking like dirty hair having, fucking bigfoot type shit bitches come off thinking like, oh, just a little boop. This one's mine. Thanks. Bye. Like, I don't. Okay. The drink is really settling in. Like, I'm not here for this. You know, the patriarchy is really settling in. Bro, I'm so tired. I'm so over that shit. All right. Like, it's, it's been here for a minute. Um, but, you know, I think that that's, that's what a lot of these paintings really speak to. And, you know, yeah. I, we talked about the fact that this woman was known within Paris society and the artistic circles, especially. And Amaret mentioned that she was a prostitute, which is true, but mm -hmm. she was an artist. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's going to be a recurring theme for a lot of the people that you will hear <laughs> us talk about today. Oh, it's yeah. like, yeah, sure. She was a prostitute and a model, but like, did you know she was actually a wonderful artist? Yeah. As if it's some kind of addendum. And that's another really problematic thing. We are complicated beings. Yes, we are absolutely complicated beings. And also, um, oh, fuck. What was I going to say? Uh, it reminds me of, um, so <laughs> um, I guess it's the booch. I don't know what it is. We're just going to get real on this podcast. Um, I have had naked photos of me uh, that people have seen. Um, and it was a, it was an unfortunate incident and it was actually in the, in the vein of taking a four by five tin type photograph. Um, so it was very artful, but uh, one thing led to another and I can tell you this story another time, but uh, that photo 
you know, was meant to be kept, you know, close to the chest. And it was one way or another was, was not leaked, but it was like the wrong people saw it when it was being scanned into a system. And um, that was definitely a moment where I was like, oh, fuck. Some have seen my tits. Okay, cool. And I talked to my stepmom about it and I was telling her, you know, we were trying to figure out what to do at the time, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't ever like I felt worried or scared that people would see this, but that I was worried. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it was my first foray into like using my body for artwork. Yeah. Um, and she goes, you know, I think of the time when Madonna's nudes leaked um, way back in the day. And her answer was, okay, and? Like, so what? Really not downplaying the situation, but just being like, I don't, I don't understand why you find this fascinating. It's a body and I have it, you know? And that was kind of my, uh, I don't know, that was kind of like my first introduction of like, yeah, bodies are meant for artwork. Like bodies are a work of art. You know, why would you feel the need to, um, I don't know. It was just, it was a really interesting experience. That is. At the ripe old age of 18. It was legal. Oh, God. All good. It was legal, but it was also. I was going to say, they're almost about ready to hit you with like child pornography. Oh, no. <laughs> we are safe here. <laughs> um, we are safe. Um, it's a stunning photograph. It's a stunning photograph, but yes. Show me your first hooker with a heart of gold. Oh dear. I'm just going to take us right on over. Right on over to our dear, dear friend. You are familiar with him. You have seen him time and time again. Our dear old Dr. Potts. Our Dr. Pottsy at home painted by none other than John Singer Sargent. So I decided to go a different way in terms of the theme, Hookers of the Heart of Gold, you know, thinking about the folks involved, you know, not only in the sex worker industry, but also in the, in the industry of the female anatomy. The very, you know, incredible practice of gynecology. Our dear old Dr. Patsy was one of those back in the day. So, also a stone cold fox. Like I will never get over how attractive he is. Can we just talk about this fucking snack right here? Okay, so uh. <laughs> I actually have a really cute uh, relationship with Dr. Potsy. Um, you do! Oh my god! Okay, I'll go first. You go second. I'm excited to hear. So uh, I worked at the Hammer as a student educator, and I uh, it was Dr. Potsy was always just like a a joke amongst the educators. Like we always knew like. Damn, okay, Dr. Potsy, with that little slipper and that red robe. I see what you're doing there. And it was always just like, it was like such a fun piece to talk about with uh, guests because they were always like, he's so regal and doot, doot, doot. And, you know, who is Dr. Potsy and everything like that. So I think it was the summer before I was hired to become a student educator, you know, I was prepping and I, and I knew I had that job. Um, I traveled to New York to 
you know, I was, I was hanging out in New York for a while and I was hopping on over to Rhode Island and I, and one of my stops in New York, uh, was at the Met and I happened to the Met. I'm really excited. I'd never been there before and I'm going to burp. Okay. That was great. I'll edit that one out. Um, maybe I'll keep it in. Who knows? So I'm like bopping through the Met. I'm like, what? I think 20, 21. I, I was 21. I was 21. And I'm like going through the hallways. I'm like, ooh, all these things. Wow. Art history major. Wow. So great. And fucking, <laughs> I turn a corner and who do I see? But our dear old Dr. Patsy. <laughs> and I was just, I was so tickled because I was like, he followed me all the way to New York from Los Angeles and I get to hang out with him at the Met and doot 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 and I was just like I was giggling to myself and of course like everybody around me was like why why are you giggling like it's just a Dr. Potsy it's fine um so I had that really cute moment and I was able to come back and like share that with my colleagues when I got back to LA and um I like to joke that Dr. Potsy and I took a little trip to New York together so uh is very cute. That's my, that's my Dr. Potsy story. Um, oh, and I think there was also one time where, like, I was giving a tour to some children, and I used Dr. Potsy as one of the one of the, one of the stops. And uh, I think somebody let it slip that he was a he was a, or or one of the kids asked like, what kind of doctor is he? And I was like, uh, he's a he's a lady doctor. <laughs> Like, doctor. I had no idea what to say. I think I just said he was a he was a general practitioner. <laughs> um, so that's my beloved Dr. Potsy story. What's yours? Love it. Um, so Dr. Potsy is the reason I went to UCLA. Shut up. Dr. Potts, what? I am the call of him, man. He's like, so what, six I, five uh, shit in this painting? Like, he is a big, uh, he's beige. Anyway, continue. I love that you just said he's big. Um, I mean, anywho. Anywho. So it was right before I needed to make a decision. Like, it was that springtime when you're supposed to make a decision about what school you're going to go to. Um, and I was stuck between UC Santa Barbara and UCLA. Mm -hmm. And so I was like talking it over. I was working in a museum at the time and I was talking it over with everybody about like, which has the better art history program, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And at the time somebody gave me a book and they were like, oh, I think you'll really like this. Um, it's about John Singer Sargent and I'm like, oh, cool. Like, I love Madame X. Like, yes, let me read this. So I start reading it and it was very, very interesting and I totally loved it. And then it had pictures of different famous pieces of his and Dr. Potsy was in there. And I remember looking at it and in the previous chapter, they had talked about like what a ladies man he was and how it was rumored that he slept with most of his clients um, it was also rumored that john singer Sargent was like very enamored of him and so i saw the painting and i was like you know what i get that and so i looked down at the information for it and it says 
from the collection of the Hammer Museum, UCLA. And I was like, you know what? I want to be where he is. Like any place that has him is okay by me. And that's how I made my decision. Again, I'm just tickled. <laughs> like, damn, I want to go to where the boys are. Shit. He's, I mean, can we just, okay, I'm going to get like super unprofessional for a second. Hold on. I have to, my housemate just bought me some more kombucha. Um, I hope I'm paying the right person over Venmo. I think I am. Anyway. <laughs> uh yeah, so before I get into like the history of Dr. Patsy, I just want to talk about th like this this boy. Like he's okay, I'm a sucker for the swooped hair, the like slicked back dark brown hair, these like sultry eyes. They look maybe hazel or green or just like a very light brown. He's off, he's gazing into the distance, and he's got this facial hair that's just so well coiffed. Immaculate. Uh, a literal popped collar, a literal popped collar, love. And he's got this, this robe, this robe. Th these it's like these, it's potentially like, velveteen. Yes, like I want to rub my face up on that shit. And then he's got these, and he's got the tassels, and you see, you know, he... Like, if you pay attention to oh, what would be his right hand, you can see that he's kind of like hooked onto his, uh, his tassel. And there then he, he's just ever so slightly curving his fingers up by his collar on his red robe. And one elegant little slipper is just boop, just popped right out. I mean, this man, this man's, treat me any which way you want, it's fine. And I can say that because he's a real person and this is, this is not weird. He's not like some fictional character. He's totally a thing. He's totally a real human, which is again, like kind of a really cool, you yeah. know, I love this shift in modernism where it's, you know, painting, again, not the everyday person, but people that are not these aristocrats that like other people get to be introduced into the history. Um, and especially that he is a person who works in the field of gynecology, you know, is really there for women's health. I think it's just so, I mean, it's radical. I, I really appreciate that and appreciate, you know, if you've seen this painting in real life, it's it's got to be what, fucking like six, seven feet tall, some shit yes. like that. And excuse me, let me just look at my notes here. But, you know, I think that that's something in thinking of the larger field of sex work, like how are, how is one able to safely and, you know, not ethically, but like safely healthfully practice this without somebody taking care of all the goods. Yep. So um, I was able to read in my notes that uh, he was painted around the age of 35, which I'm like, damn, okay, that's right. That's cool. Sounds great. You know, and, and every time that I used to, uh, I used to give a tour you know, everybody thought that he was some sort of regal, mm, very yeah. important, very important uh, aristocrat or something like that. But it was it was very cool to be able to give a little bit of background on this guy and his profession and that he was a real 
life person. And yeah. one of the one of the fun facts that I love about the Hammer Museum is that oftentimes the Arm and Hammer collection placed Dr. Potsy within eyesight of the portrait of Sarah Bernhard because they were lovers in real life. I so love that. I know that was some that was such a like cute curatorial nod of kind of the enmeshment of history and the enmesh the enmeshment of these these real life people that had real life um connections and and everything like that and you know kind of hearkening back a little bit to, i'm sorry did i just say hearkening back to something i was gonna say wow really feeling the feels in this in this uh you know 1881 oil painting um let us hearken back to you know the days when these very like larger than life paintings were made of popes and priests and folks of you know no like religious notoriety I, I think that it was kind of like a a little bit of a rebellious punk rock move of john singer Sargent to to paint this huge painting of somebody that was so entrenched in the opposite sex's anatomy i don't know i mean like even though he was a ladies man he was also there for the the health and well-being of, of ladies and i think it's almost like satirical that he oh, was yeah. in the same fashion girl i don't know i just like i love dr potsy <laughs> i love dr potsy and there's okay so like i remember that when i first started studying art history and i studied art very poorly i am definitely of the those who can't do teach and learn we were talking about color composition and you know, historically what each color was supposed to represent. And like the reason why bakery boxes are often pink is because pink triggers like a sweet sense in your mind because of the way that that particular light frequency is transmitted to your brain. And so you're more likely to eat sweets. And so the boxes are always pink. And red was supposed to be the color of passion Love. you know and that can go both ways and i think that there's just there's something about the fact that that is the dominant color here but because of his manner and his posture you well i automatically as a viewer think passion in a more like sexual way as opposed to any kind of anger. Yeah. I and agree. I think that it's completely brilliant, especially considering that the subject is male, because I think that, you know, for a lot of w women, when you think passion, there is that unfortunate association of like, okay, well, what kind of passion are we talking about? Like, especially when talking about men, it doesn't always have a positive connotation. But with Dr. Potsy, it's like, it's all positive. It's all love, baby. Like, it's all love. It's all positive. It's all positive. I kind of hate myself for saying that. No, yeah. never. I love you so much. Um, and also, like, <laughs> this is hella cheesy, but every time I see him with the drapes in the background and his hella fly robe, like in my head, I hear Barry White. Ooh, yes. 
Like, and I sometimes imagine that that's what Dr. Potsy must have sounded like. I oh, imagine yeah. him with like this deep, deep, very white-esque voice. You know what, you know what song pops into my head? And I, I hope this transcribes to the microphone. Hold on. You know what song I, I think of when I, when I hear this is, uh, is our dear old... Also works. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Yes. I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play the song that I hear. I'm gonna play. Oh my song. god! Tell me, tell me. <laughs> Art comes in many forms, people. That it does, and informs each other quite frequently. Okay, so look at Dr. Potsy and oh. tell me that you can't imagine him just like crooning this to you. his mouth uh yeah oh yeah huh. oh we are we are so sad we are so sad i love it tell me what what do you have for me tell me more what are okay. you i'm gonna i'm gonna do, do this feels so anticlimactic now oh we can make like, what could possibly top dr potsy <laughs> um i would like to what such a hottie such such a hottie mm -hmm. um okay so the next piece that we're going to talk about is by Henri Lutrec amazing um and it is entitled La Toilette, La Toilette. and was painted in 1889. I really love this piece because it's intimate but not overly revealing. I think that it's really important for people to truly examine the difference between intimacy and sex. Mm. And I feel like this piece does that very well. So for those of you who do not know, Henri Latus Latrac. Wait, I'm sorry. Are you saying Latouse? Yeah, Toulouse. Did you listen? Oh God, I mixed it up. Okay, Henri Toulouse Lautrec. Was everybody very obsessed with prostitutes? They, and not in a way that you might expect, they were his besties. He hung out in Montmartre very frequently. It's and it was, 
I've, I've been there. I kissed a boy named Pierre there. I, oh, oh, she's gasping, everyone. I just wanted to throw that out there because it's all I That's remember at that place. <laughs> oh my God, what? I know. Uh, culture is lost on you. <laughs> drinking was legal at a very young age over there. It's all good. I'm going to edit that part out. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. The area was popular amongst artists and prostitutes um, and many other colorful creatures in Paris. And like I said, you know, these prostitutes, they were kind of his besties. Like he, he found his people there. Um, and he was very much interested in portraying sort of the day-to-day -day lives of these women because as Emirate has mentioned, you know, with the advent of modernism, it was all about what's the everyday person going through as opposed to the bourgeoisie, the aristocracy, um, you know, papal persons were just, we want to see what's going down in the hood. And that's really what Toulouse-Lautrec was focusing on. And this particular piece, um, it does feature a prostitute. She is seated and seems to be in a bathroom. You can see like a sink or what appears to be a sink. There are lots of clothes kind of stripped off and thrown around. She has a stocking on one leg that's pretty much fallen off and her entire front or top half seems to be bare, but she only has her back to us. So her back and the top of her thigh is really all that you can see of her. As I mentioned, there's just a sense of intimacy of like you're seeing her in a moment when she's actually relaxed mm -hmm. and she's not up for display and she's with a friend, which is why she is allowing this particular kind of intimacy to happen. I wonder, you know, there is so much contention about sex work even now and whether or not it is a legitimate form of work and whether or not it's a respectable form of work and labor. And I think that even then, Lautrec, Toulouse-Lautrec was really trying to humanize these women. And I hate that it's something that we still are attempting to do now when they, to so many people, they offer comfort and release and oftentimes are doing something to try to make people happier. And that for some reason, our society is so okay with pretty much every other commercial way of making people happier drinking, massages, marijuana now is legal in a lot of places. And this is still the 
thing that in so many parts of the world and especially in the U.S. is considered very taboo. Which is so, I, I find that so, um, it's so absurd and it's so backwards how, I mean, especially in the U.S., it's it's viewed upon as this, I mean, it's, it's back in the Nancy Reagan, like, just don't do it. And it's like, well, we're gonna do it because that's our natural inclination, whether it's, you know, hetero normative sex, whether it's queer sex, whether it's like, you know, just, it's an expression of intimacy. And I, I really love the way that you brought up the idea of differentiating intimacy and sex, because I feel like they are two different things. And I feel like they can coexist for sure. And they can coexist and they can exist, they can mutually exist. That's what I'm trying to say. And I think that in this level of intimacy, when I'm, when I'm reading from this, this work, I mean, first of all, I love this piece. I think it's fucking exquisite. I think that the colors that are utilized in this work and the, the texture as well as the line work really, it, it just spells out a narrative in my, in my perspective. And this, point of view that we're having with this woman, I think of vulnerability. I mm. think of vulnerability in the same way that you had spoke, you know, this woman feels safe, this woman feels relaxed. Like I, I think of vulnerability in a way that relates back to what you were saying about humanizing these sex workers. Like, you know, they're there's, um, God, I've been watching Pose over quarantine, and it's just so fucking good. Oh, um, God, I love that show so much. I cry every episode, of course, but I think of I think of Angel, and I think of her, you know, development with this relationship with this guy where she's very much on the defense and, you know, like, she's fucking smart. She's whip smart, and this guy is coming to her, you know, bleeding heart on his shoulder and and she's you know not really having it at first but then after a while she's he's he's tapping into this this um this softer side regardless i i'm not a huge fan of that of that narrative but you you see the complexities of this work where sex and intimacy they are two different things i believe but that doesn't mean that they're simple they're complex yes. they're so layered they're so complex and i really think like taking it back to this work it's it's complex we're not seeing her facial expression we have to read her body language we have to read what's going on in the room what you know the sheets are crumpled up her stocking is down you know is this post coitus like coital coitus it's been ages i don't know and so she you know, we're seeing this very vulnerable moment and we're allowed to see it. You know, we're able to be the voyeurs. I, know, I love this piece. I love this piece so much. I do too. And, you know, it's just, to me, it's the color composition is so calming. Mm -hmm. You know, we were talking about passion and the red of Dr. Potsy and then you come to this and it's all blues and whites and browns and it's just so calming. Yeah. And, you know, I think oftentimes blue is read as a sad color. You know, you're feeling blue, you're feeling down. And so I do wonder sometimes, and I think that this is so genius, you can't see her face, 
And the presence of so much blue always makes me wonder, like, is she sad? Is she okay? Like, I want to know that she's okay, particularly because she is being so vulnerable. I just want to make sure she's as safe as I think she is. And I, I also want to bring up the fact that, you know, I love that you brought up her hair and the pop of red. I, I, I want to bring up that similarly in Olympia, you know, this woman's hair is tied up. It's, yes. it's just ever so like slightly a little bit of a messy bun, which that's, I'm rocking it right now. I feel it. That it's this, I don't know. I, I This might be a personal take, but like whenever I'm trying to impress a suitor or, you know, whoever, I do my hair and I, I leave it down. I mean, I don't, I don't do my hair. I just let it dry and do whatever it's going to do, but I, I, I have it down and I, and I use it to like play with or, you know, anything like that. But then when I have it up, I know I'm either, you know, trying to concentrate and I need my hair out of my way or I'm feeling comfortable with someone that I can like, I can just put it up and that I'm not trying to look a certain way to be able to impress someone. Does that make sense? That absolutely makes sense, yes. Yeah. So, I don't know, I think that's another mark of, of vulnerability. That absolutely. I yeah, I think so too. And, you know, it's something to be said that it's not like in the sort of tight, constrained hairstyles of the time. It is rather loose. Um, and it does, it looks comfortable. Yeah. Is the thing. All right, Emirate, who do you have for us next? Oh, buddy. I'm so excited. <laughs> this shit is bananas. Hold on. Let's go to where the pictures are. Beep, beep, beep. All right. So we're taking it over to our dear old other problematic fave, Egon Schiele. This is from the Black Haired Girls series yeah. where he uses sex workers at, as, uh, as models, as muses, as they allude to. So a little bit of background on Egon Schiele, which is kind of, I don't know, when I was, when I was doing a little bit of research, like further research on him, um, he was around during the Spanish flu. And I was like, hey, pandemic buddies, what's up? So I thought that was kind of funny. But everything else, I was like, damn, he was a piece of shit. He did some gorgeous work, but he was a piece of shit, said everybody about every male artist in art history. I digress. So Egon Schiele, I actually didn't know this. He was a protege of Gustav Klimt. So for mm -hmm. folks that don't know, Gustav Klimt, you'll probably recognize his most famous painting, The Kiss. Two figures shrouded in these gorgeous gold mosaic-like patterns embrace. Gustav Klimt was uh, also Austrian, I believe, and so Egon Schiele is as well. And it's, it's very cool to know that they were working or they were contemporaries and, you know, Egon was a, a protege of, of Klimt because you can kind of see the figural inspiration and oh, then yeah. you see where Schiele starts to develop his own looser, um, some call it early expressionist style, which I, I, find, I find really lovely. So, dude... <laughs> 
also like, again, I love his paintings. I fucking love his paintings. But like, this bitch was literally run out of town. So he was living in this town that was his mother's birth birthplace. Krumau? I'm going to mispronounce that. I mispronounced that. I'm certain. He was run out of town with his lover because people were so upset over his paintings and his, his, his methods in which to acquire models for his paintings. And I can just, I, like, as soon as I read that fact, I imagined, like, him with like a ton of canvases under one arm, a ton of paints and paintbrushes under one arm, and he's got his hat on, and he's got these like shitty cloth shoes and like a linen top, and he's just like, bow, 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 like booking it the fuck out of town. And his lover is like, God fucking damn it, Egon, I fucking told you this shit. I done told you. Like I, and the people are behind them with pitchforks and flames and like I just I pictured this whole scene and it was really like funny in my mind. Anyway, I love that. anyway, so yeah, he was run out of town because of like his paintings, his lifestyle, his uh, usage of teenage girls as a model, and you would have thought that like that would have taught him a lesson. Like, okay, cool, I've literally been run out of a town because of my my ways. Nah, this bitch is like, nah, history repeats itself, right? It's fine. So he then goes to a different place. It's um, Nulingbach, question mark. I'll probably have to do corrections on our next episode. I apologize to our European fans. <laughs> They're even fucking out there. And this town had a reputation, or his, his, his spot in the town had a reputation for uh, quote-unquote delinquent children. So that, that is from our dear friend Wikipedia. And I was like, all right, Wikipedia, I see you. Like, what the fuck are you trying to say? Then this bitch was arrested! Egon was arrested. He was arrested because he seduced a fucking 13-year-old. So I want, I want you to keep this date in mind. He was arrested in 1912 for seducing a 13-year-old. And I'm like, bitch, didn't you fucking learn your lesson? Like, man, I can't. Anyway, so this happens. The painting that I'm discussing... <laughs> It was made in 1911, one year before his arrest. So we're going to talk about Girl with Black Hair. So the painting that we're looking at, it's, it's actually very funny that you and I have discussed hair and how hair is depicted in these works that we've chosen and how this model's hair, literal girl, I'm assuming, which I'm... Ugh. Can I just say, can I just preface that I'm like super uncomfortable that I'm talking about this work that is sexualizing a young woman, but we gotta expose our problematic faves for their problems. Probably. This, this piece of shit, man. Anyway, so this woman's, this girl's hair is, is wild. It is, it is luscious. It is, it is taking up like a good portion of the painting. Um, and you can see the hint of red lips, the hint of blush, some mascara, some eyeliner, um, makeup essentially where it's depicting, you know, I don't know. I always think a lady. being a lady or, you know, trying to portray yourself as a little bit older than you actually mm, are. Yeah. I remember makeup got into my hands at way too young of an age. There was a lot of like electric blue eyeliner and like pink lipstick happening at the same, like, I don't know why somebody didn't just like 
smudge that shit off my face. But here we are and we live and we learn. Anyways, the perspective of this work kind of is similar to a, a piece that I referenced in an earlier episode of our podcast, um, Origin of the Universe, where very front and center is, is the vulva is the legs spread wide open and you can see a detailed bush. You can see up her skirt. She's not wearing any undergarments. And it's, I mean, it's kind of, I'm going to zoom in a little bit, like it's abstract in a way where you're, you're able to see. And it's, it's very, it's, it's a very slight, but it's also very prominent. And it's a, it's a perspective of like looking down, which I think is also another reason I think Egon Schiele is a piece of shit that he was literally like physically up above this model looking down at her. Yes. To be able to get this perspective. God, Schiele, if you're listening, you're a fucking dick, man. Like she doesn't even get any arms, man. Like she doesn't even get full legs. Can we talk about that? She does not get limbs. Like I'm assuming that maybe her arms are like relaxed behind her head, you know, but but like, bitch, give her some appendages. I, it's, it's, it's similar in the way that like Man Ray loved women and he depicted them so beautifully. Egon Schiele loved women, depicted them so beautifully, but he was such a cheap prick. What the fuck? So in any case, Egon Schiele died at the age of 28 because he caught the Spanish flu. So you know, you live and you learn and you die in a pandemic. Oh, God. Yeah. That is our, uh, that is our dear girl with the, with black hair. You know, there is so much going on in this piece. It's really interesting to me. So starting with Dada, but then more prominently in surrealism, there started to be this hot take amongst male artists bifurcating female bodies and so what you were saying about like where are her limbs the only one that matters to a dick is the one that's on full display here oh um and so often that is the focus of many of those pieces is a woman's vagina or her mouth and her face almost as though the artist can only understand women in pieces um wait i just (laughs) can i put that on a cross stitch that is the entirety of my four years studying fucking art history anyway continue Well, and I think it's really interesting because to my mind, as we, as I was studying art history, you had two different depictions of the female body. So in a more traditional sense, you always had these very lusciously painted women or very puritanically painted women in more traditional arts as we see particularly when painting became so very popular in the Renaissance and in the 15th, 16th, and 17th and 18th centuries. And a lot of the time they were rich, they were religious figures, they were mythological figures, or 
they were female family members. That's what you were seeing. Once you get to modernism and the everyday woman is when we start to see them broken up in pieces. And it's almost as though I'm painting the everyday woman now and I need you all to know that none of them are whole and none of them are really that important. And if I can't pray to you, then you're just a thing to me. Again, can we get a fucking cross stitch? Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's really, I don't know, I'm tired. I think Egon's a piece of shit. That's the, that's my thesis. There we go. Absolutely. Can you, can we transition? Can we, can we jump ahead? We can jump ahead. So I will go ahead and share my last piece. Let's do it. It's very far in the future. So we've been in the 1800s and early 1900s for the most part in our discussion so far. And the last piece that I would like to discuss is a piece by Cindy Sherman. And it was created in 1993 and it is untitled number 276. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with Cindy Sherman, she is amazing. Um, one of my absolute favorite artists. And this piece was part of a collection that was intent on studying and I would say criticizing the fashion industry. What do we consider beautiful and what do we consider grotesque? And while Cindy Sherman is always the model of her pieces, she takes on different characters constantly. And there was something about this piece when I first saw it in person, it was this ginormous print in the Broad Art Center and I immediately fell in love with it because mostly I was thinking to myself, I know this bitch, like, I have frequently been this bitch. And if you look at the picture, it is of a woman with long, some would say unkempt hair. She's wearing a crown and she has on this long flowing dress, but she's not wearing a bra because she's kind of like, fuck it. You Dude, can see her nipples through the dress. Those nip knops are here. Not only that, but she's got a full on Merkin. Dude, that Merkin is like, whoa, like, boom. Very, very prominent Merkin. Can we, wait, just in case our listeners don't know what a Merkin is, this was actually really fun for me to learn when I was uh, a teenager. I was taught what a Merkin was at, God, I think like age 15 or 16. So back in the uh, olden days of early sex work, women who had syphilis, gonorrhea, one of them. Syphilis, I think. I think it's syphilis, yeah, thank you. Would lose their pubic hair. And that was a symptom of this STD. And so to remain in business um, and to not, you know, affront that they had this STD, they would wear like a little wig, a little merkin. So the... <laughs> I think my eyes opened when I figured out what a Merkin was and that I'm able to see this like very niche 
bit of humor in different cultural contexts. Oh yeah. Especially with Cindy Sherman using one that is like probably the size of my face. Like, oh yeah. I love it. I love it. I am not convinced, like you will never be able to convince me that she did not just take a regular short haired wig and stick it on her crotch. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But it's very visible through this absolutely lovely gown. <laughs> and not only that, but she's got her legs spread wide open. Her stockings are falling down. There's those stockings again. The stockings again. Yeah, we've seen it in Olympia. Oh no, we've seen it in La Toilette. La Toilette, we've seen it in, you know, honestly, I bet Dr. Patsy's stockings were falling down too. thousand <laughs> percent. We saw it in, wait, what the fuck piece did I just talk about? <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, girl yeah, with, the, with black the black hair. You, I, I'm sober. It's She's fine. really not though. We're true to our word when we say that this is drunk art history, bitches. Please continue. Ignore me. And she is holding this gigantic lily in between her legs as well. In case things weren't obvious enough for you that like, hey man, we're talking about female genitalia. I want it on your mind. And then the look of her character is just so very much, fuck you. What are you looking at? I dare you to say something to me about my merkin, about my saggy tits, and my stockings that are falling off. And, you know, like I said, it was a comment on the fashion industry, but to my mind, the fashion industry and sex work, they are intertwined, truly. Yeah, truly, truly. Especially in the modern sense of the word when it comes to fashion. And women's fashion in particular has always been so much about changing female bodies and convincing women that they need to spend money, hard earned money, on the latest fashion, whatever the fuck, in order to be beautiful and attractive. And if I could just file all of those, like as a tax write-off, good fucking God, I would, I would be, oof, I could, I could afford so much. <laughs> similar to the fashion industry, similar to this work, this photograph is like, I, I'm not able to see it as anything but a paradox or rather like, like an oxymoron. You know, I, and I think you were getting to this where she is wearing this very lovely silk gown that thinks that makes us think of Olympia with these like silk scarves. She's fully covered. Like, like, you know, to think about, to check our boxes off, she's fully covered. There is no nudity. It's the fact that this long dress is sheer. Yes. But it's, you know, we're able to see 
the nipples we're able to see perhaps those are some spanks because girl i know i know what that line looks like um we see the large merkin we see the outline of the body so perfectly but yet no 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 I'm covered up. It's this, it's this, um, it's this paradox. And then, you know, thinking about the flower crown that she has, it's, it's baby's breath, like something so light, something so pure to be named after baby's breath is worn as a crown. And yet she's got this red lipstick. She's got these blood red stockings that are coming undone. She's got these lilies that are seemingly simultaneously phallic and yonic at the same time. Yeah. Positioned below her vulva, but also like like I like I'm having trouble being able to differentiate it. Even the way that her dress it's pulled up to the knees, but it slouches in a way between her legs where it looks like a vagina, you know? And the the background of the white curtains. I mean, that's like religious iconography right there. Am I right? Yes, absolutely. Well, and then the crown on her head as well yeah. is very evocative of halos. And I cannot stress enough how much of an I don't give a fuck attitude is just seeping out of this photo. The thing that I really love about this is that in addition to I don't give a fuck, I'm also getting so much, I'm tired. Yeah. She's got a hand on her back and her eyes are droopy. They're half closed. Part of me is like, those stockings are running down because she's like, can I take this shit off yet? Yeah. And I say this as a woman to my fellow women, like, can we take this shit off yet? Would love to. Because this concept of fashion and beauty is such bullshit. Most particularly because it's so often been defined by men. It has. And like, can I just say fuck the binary? Because there are so many different ways that a woman or a vagina owner or, you know, a trans woman can identify themselves through what they wear, but that it has to adhere to this, like, this idea of femininity where, you know, there are days where I want to wear a long dress. I want to, I want to accentuate the femininity that I have. And then there's days where I'm like, ma, fuck it. Like I'm putting on a pair of dickies. I'm putting on a pair of bands, got a t-shirt, got my hair up. Like, but then all of a sudden I'm labeled as like, you know, that, that categorizes itself into androgyny or perhaps, you know, ascribing to something other than femininity. And then I'm like, you know, why, why can't I just, why can't people just wear whatever the fuck they want to wear, express themselves however the fuck they want to express themselves. Like, how long has it been and this shit is not working? Like, let, let people be. You know, I, I, I see this as like, you want it, you got it. Like, did you really want this expression of femininity? Because here we go. And part of me is also like, speaking to the dichotomy that you brought up, everything about this photo is feminine. And yet I look at it. And it seems so antithetical to femininity because of the waves of fuck you. I mean, as a little girl, were you taught, close your legs, young ladies don't sit like that. I can hear that. Yep. 
echoing in my mind when my yeah. mom told me that. And if my mom is listening, I love you, mom. But like, I heard that and I was like, oh, the ripe age of six. I was like, I can sit however the fuck I want to sit. Yeah. I want to sit with my legs open. Men can sit with their legs open. Why can't I? Well, and particularly if you're wearing a dress, right? Like, yes. you don't want to give them a show. I can do whatever the fuck I want with whatever the fuck's between my legs. Shit. Exactly. And I think that's exactly what Cindy Sherman is saying. And there are so many callbacks, to me at least, visually, to all of those 19th century portraits of prostitutes. Yes. That exist, I mean, to our listeners when doing research for like, which pokers with a heart of gold am I going to talk about? The breadth of imagery that you have to choose from in the 19th century, like, it's baffling to me. Astounding. There are just so, so many pictures of or paintings of female prostitutes. And, you know, I was talking to Emma Rapp before we started recording. I got really frustrated. And so I specifically started to look up, like, famous paintings of male prostitutes. Where are they? Where are they indeed? And we know that it's not to say that these male sex workers didn't exist. It's more that history in all of its patriarchal whiteness has labeled those men as friends of the male painters. And that story was taken at its word. But the point that is always made of bringing up the fact that these models for these male painters are prostitutes is just consistently present in the Western canon in the 19th century. And it's so upsetting. You know, it's 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 modern works like this and then the one that we're, we're gonna end on that really, I don't know, it gives me a little bit of hope in reclaiming the body, in, reca- in reclaiming the female body, in reclaiming how it's represented and control, like just reclaiming the narrative. I love that this Cindy Sherman work, I honestly, I, I didn't think of the connection before, but the the usage of plants and the usage of the body, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about uh, this next work because I think it just, I don't know, it segues really well and I'm, I'm really excited to to talk about this work because I, God, I'm going to turn into such a little fangirl here. Um, I have had the honor of meeting and, and, and slightly working with this artist here through my uh, day, day job. Yeah. So this is Plant Room Study Number One by Fabiana Rodriguez. And so for folks that don't know Fabiana Rodriguez, I'm going to try and give a synopsis of her work or, or her as a person. So she is, um, she describes herself as an artist, an activist, and an agitator. She's from the Oakland area, and she identifies herself as queer and Latina, which with Afro-Peruvian roots. So this is the first artist of color that we're able to talk about in terms of work that incorporate sex positivity and, and the and a reclamation of the female figure in a narrative with plants. And so 
What I love about Fabiana's work is that she has intersected her passions of sex work and pleasure, like pro-pleasure. She has been able to incorporate her ecological de- uh, and, and uh, environment, words, 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 her environmental and ecological justice pursuits, as well as intertwined with the general pursuit of social justice and anti-racism. And so I was, you know, I got to know her work over the course of like 2018, 2019, when we were going to have her as a, as a keynote speaker at our program and the ways in which she has incorporated so much of her narrative and, and not, you know, I don't want to say past trauma, but the, the situations that she's been in and the challenges that she's experienced, she has been so vocal and such an advocate for so many women and so many queers that I, I, I look to her as, as a role model. I mean, again, I'm just fangirling because like, I got to meet this woman and, and her energy and her passion was palpable. Um, and the way in which she describes the earth and working with the earth and cultivating earth and how it's a healing process that she was able to leave an abusive partner and not only heal her, like, like heal through herself and getting to know her body and her pleasure, but that she was also able to literally like build this beautiful and luscious garden that was part of her upbringing, that was, that was so closely tied to her father, um, who had sadly passed away not, not long after um, I think this work came out. And so to see her, her work, and, I, and, and you know, folks might recognize her work with a lot of the, a lot of the visuals that came out around DACA, where it was, it was the butterflies and migration is beautiful. Um, a lot of her work uh, is in the medium of like collage and screen printing. And so this, this work, I feel at least what, what I'm sensing from this work is, is different. It's a departure, if anything, where it's a more vulnerable approach to her passion for the earth and for growth and sprouting. And that we see these very simple yet intricate shapes of this like one point perspective of this wall, this, this room, this space that holds two plants or, you know, a plant with two, two branches and two beautiful sprouts. Um, and then at the top right corner, we see a portrait of the artist and she is completely in the nude. And so it, it, it equates this, this beautiful connection of, of, natural of, of kind of, I don't know, I think of roots. I think of, you know, the physical, the spiritual, the mental, the sexual roots that one takes in healing from abuse, from a romantic partner, from, from any sort of person. And so I just, I really love her work. I really feel just so, um, I don't know, I feel really like a sense of whenever I see her post on Instagram about her body and talking about like I'm getting to know myself and like how I want to experience pleasure and like I get to be my own partner and I and as as a young woman like I I I so look up to that because I think sex was so 
I don't know. It was so strange to me growing up where I saw so many different examples and I'm seeing the way in which she's taking this beautiful, artistic, expressive approach. Oh man, I just fucking love Fabiana. That's, <laughs> that's how, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. <laughs> I really love this piece. I am so intrigued by the fact that there is a portrait of the artist within another piece and grappling with that sense of separation almost because so often when you think of an artist and a self-portrait it's just it's them front and center they are the focus i think at least for me when i first started to study art there would be a part of me that would think well that's pretty narcissistic like mm -hmm. to think let me show you world i am the greatest art piece of them all which is not necessarily where all artists who did self-portraits were coming from but it plays that way sometimes and so i kind of like this self-removal of the fact that it's like this is a portrait of me in many ways not just my physical presence but all of the things that make me me. I also really love in her portrait, she is nude and she's surrounded by nature. So there's the natural of the plants that are in the room that she is also inhabiting or that her portrait is also inhabiting, but it's almost got this Garden of Eden feel. Like this oh. is a new start. And I am a woman, but this is a positive thing. You know, like I will not play Eve. I am capable of new beginnings without any of society's baggage being put upon me. I love that you mentioned that because it reminded me when we did a workshop that she led. So she led a, a poster making workshop, like a, like a protest poster making workshop. Instead of promoting images of anti this and fuck that and this is bullshit. It was more about dreaming. Mm. What sort of future do we want to see? How do we begin to dream on the individual level and on the community level? You know, really cultivating this, you know, not like, I mean, I don't want to simplify it to positivity, but really approaching it with love. Mm -hmm. approaching it with like radical imagination, radical love of, you know, destroying these awful, awful challenges that our, our world is facing with, you know, not with more negativity, but rather with absolute love, which I, I see in this work as well. You know, I think that there's something to be said for the fact that even though a woman's anger can be so powerful. It can also be exhausting. You know, when you take stock of all of the things that you have to deal with as a woman, and then particularly as a woman of color, there is so much to be angry about. Like and our dear Solange's song, Mad, I got a lot to be mad about. Like, Exactly. And I think that there is something very beautiful in saying, I recognize my anger 
but I want to talk to you about my healing. I think it's very relatable to sex work in that so often society is focusing on this sense of delinquency and impropriety. But when you actually hear from sex workers, there's very much a sense of I'm helping people and I am providing a necessary service. And I need you to understand that that is also part of the narrative. Isn't this piece just so fucking wonderful? It really is. It is. Oh, what a, like, what a joyous work to conclude with because, you know, we've seen so many different aspects of, of intimacy, of sex, of sex work through the ages. And we're literally brought, bleh. we are literally brought to the modern day. That piece was from 2019. So it's of a better time. <laughs> we did not know. You know, I, I, I love that we're able to, yeah, investigate so many different positionalities of this topic and really conclude on the note of healing and of restoration and of reclamation and joy. Because I think that, you know, fuck, what else do we have to look forward to but that? So true. Well, on that note, I, I think it's time to give each other some drunk girl compliments. I am so looking forward to drunk girl compliments. Drunk girl compliments! Wait, I, I, I want to go first. I want to go first because, like, I just want to say that I've been staring at you this whole time. And I, like, yeah, wait, why are you covering your face? Because, like, it's literally just about to say your eyes. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I, I just need another set. I just need a little bit of, like, like courage to tell you that I think your eyes, your eyes are, come closer, come closer. Your eyes are just, so pretty like they're like they're like so large and like doe eyes are just so beautiful like can you just like can you just like stare at me can you just can you just thanks yeah that's all i need that's all i wanted that's all i wanted hi hi i um i had to say like i had to say that like your nose is like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I like how I'm just, I'm obsessed. Like it's so perfect. And like, it's yours. It's got like, it's got jewelry and like, it deserves it. And it's beautiful. You know what they say, if you like it, then you should put a ring on it. You know what? I like my nose too. You put a ring on it. Put a ring on it. <laughs> Bye. Bye. This episode of Drunk Art History Bitches is brought to you by Emirate and Chantel. The music was made mostly by the 24-year-old with gray hair and Emirate. Thanks for listening.